Thank you for being here for the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place where we can have conversations to come together on our healing journey from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien with Nicole Braddock-Bromley. Hello. Arlene. It's Nicole. It's been so long since I've seen you. I know. Too long. Goodness, Carlene, you and I met, I mean, it's been 10, 11 years ago uh, when we were in New York City doing the Montel Williams show. And I never knew your story before that. And that was honestly a, a surreal moment, you know, getting flown to New York City you know, to do this show and all the makeup. It was my first like major network TV show to share my story. It was right after my first book, Hush, came out. And I mean, I was nervous, but I also felt so much comfort being on that show with you because um, just hearing your story and your heart is just enormous. And I just felt uh, really connected to you and I enjoyed being on the show and it was um, definitely a good experience for me sharing my story publicly um, at that kind of a stage for the first time. Um, But I wondered if you'd be willing to just start out by sharing a little bit of your story and and even your sister's story, um, just to give us a little bit of background and kind of, you know, where our friendship began. Yeah, so like you said, our friendship began on the set of the Montel Williams show. And you're right, I think it was 10, 11 years ago. Um, And it was, it was a very surreal time for myself as well, because unfortunately, at that time, we were invited to come on the show and share our story because my sister was getting ready to stand trial Mm -hmm. um, for the murder of our father. Right. Um, my sister and I, unfortunately, were um, our dad's victims for years, most mm-hmm. of our childhood. For me, about three years old to about 13 years old. And for my sister, about three or four years old, almost until she was about 18. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, uh, about um, I can't even remember the timeline exactly, but um, my sister had a conversation with my father and he made it seem like my sister, what came from that conversation was my sister thought my daughter may have been the next victim. Um, And she basically could not let that happen in her eyes. Her intention was simply to, and this gets a little graphic, but her intention was simply to remove his weapon. Um, Unfortunately, he also lost his life that day, and mm-hmm. she began to stand. You know, she went. She did serve time, um, five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but we both gained such an amazing. It's so strange. Like it's just, it's weird for me to say it in the same sentence. We gained such a, an amazing support and community around that because for either of us, we spent our lives. I'll be forty this year, mm-hmm. so I was at least thirty something years old then. Um, spent our lives not talking about it, or if we did talk about it, no one believed us. Right. right. Um, so it was very strange, mm-hmm. but comforting to finally share, mm. you know, to kind of release a secret that I held for so many years. Right. Unfortunate and- circumstance, but yeah. And when you went on that show with me, I remember you saying, you know, it it was it was hard to share the story, but you needed to for your sister's justice. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So in the midst of all that, um, there was no time to deal with or reflect on, you know, anything personal. It was more so my sister is now, her face is being plastered literally all over national news as this person who did something so graphic and so unthinkable, Mm -hmm. but there was a whole big story behind it. And I needed people to understand, no, she's not someone who simply lost her mind one day. Mm -hmm. This was a lifetime of torture that she lived with. Mm -hmm. And she did what she thought was necessary in that moment. Right. And and you say, you know, the unthinkable, but I think... (laughs) Most survivors of sexual abuse, especially to the degree that you and your sister went through, um, that would be something you would think about. I mean, any of us would think about, I want to chop it off and I don't care if he dies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you're right. I thought it was amazing how brave you were to share that story and honestly to overlook your own. You know, you were also the victim, but yeah. you were speaking out for your sister. And that was always mm-hmm. the forefront of your mind. And again, I think that's so common for survivors is we're worried about our siblings more than we are ourselves. Absolutely. Because even years later, at least I want to say it had to be at least two or three years later, um, another network had um, shared our story mm. on national television. And I had promoted, was promoting for it, you know, through social media. Um, hey, the story's coming out, you know, support my sister if you want to write to her, this, that, and the other. And it was probably about two days later after the show aired, a friend of mine, I'd moved to Texas um, in class, in school, she said, I watched the show and you told us to watch the show about your sister, but you were a part of that. You were a victim as well. Mm -hmm. Who's supporting you? And it's still in that moment, I think that's when I finally realized that I was not, I was not looking at myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Carlene, and that's something that has always hit me ever since that show. I always thought about that and, you know, how we can give, give, give and, and care for so many people around us, but not consider our own healing and yeah. to be able to look at your own story. And um, I just wondered when that turning point was for you, when you realized, no, I, I've got to take care of me too. It started with that comment towards myself years ago. And I want to say it's been, that had to be about seven or eight years ago. Okay. Seven years, yeah, seven years ago. Okay. Um, that it was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> mm. I need help. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, yeah, because what happened with talking about that and bringing that to life was a flood of memories that I had just put to the side or buried so deep. Mm -hmm. They presented themselves as nightmares or flashbacks and just an emotional, a huge overwhelming feeling of emotions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it took. It took the help of my pastor at the time, mm-hmm. um, a newfound understanding for the importance of a community of women around you. Mm-hmm. Um, it took the love of Christ, honestly, mm-hmm. just to be, mm-hmm. just to calm all of that and to make sense of everything that I was feeling and couldn't really explain. I think when I met you for the first time on that show, you didn't have that level of a faith in God. 
And that kind of that journey oh, no, to Jesus, right? That journey to Jesus came yeah. later. And it sounds like it actually came at the same time as you started that healing journey. Is that right? It did. It did. I had, I had actually um, received Christ. I had actually, you know, got saved a few years prior to all of this happening, which probably helped, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the understanding of what that really meant mm -hmm. until I absolutely needed it. You know? yeah. <laughs> Where it was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> all right, right. This is what this is all about. Yeah. So a, a lot of it for you, I think, has come through community and finding a faith community and finding a community of, of women, strong, supportive women around you. Um, is that something that you feel like is super important to you even now? I mean, what's your healing look like today? Oh, it's absolutely mandatory. It's yeah. absolutely mandatory. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very much a part, a very intentional part of my life now mm -hmm. um, to avoid seclusion because that's always, that was always easy to mm -hmm. just avoid people. Yeah. Like I'm someone, I've always been someone who I know a lot of people, a lot of people know me and mm -hmm. we can say hi and we can conversate for hours, <laughs> but there was no real meaningful relationship built. Yeah. I didn't allow that. Yeah. To and where you can be very real that, with someone and to be loved mm -hmm. despite some of the very vulnerable things yeah. you might share. Yeah. I totally relate yeah. to that. And so much of my healing has come through that sort of same thing. I heard you yeah. say on, um, I don't know what it was on, but I, I heard you say one time that uh, you're a notorious runner. And I love that. You said, it's, I don't jog. Oh my you're gosh. like, but I'm talking about like life. Yes. <laughs> like I run. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love that. Absolutely. That was definitely who I was. You know, like in, you know, in like relatable terms, I was a gypsy kind of. I just ran <laughs> away from everything. Mm -hmm. You know, if, mm -hmm. If it was an emotional issue, if it was a financial issue, it's like I didn't want to deal. Yeah. Because that was just a cuss. I was accustomed to that, not dealing. Okay, just don't deal with it. Don't talk about it. Just, just, just move on to the next thing. Yeah. And that was my life. Mm -hmm. Even with everything that happened with, you know, once the, our, our life came, became so public with my sister and I, that was heavy. Oh, yeah. That was heavy. And I, all of a sudden very nonchalantly moved from New York to Texas. Did I know anybody in Texas? Nope. Wow. <laughs> it's a pretty Not big a move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I talk run, I'm talking multi-marathon. Yes, <laughs> you are. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you think that fed into some of your ways of coping? I remember you even saying you auditioned for a porn. Yes. Yes. That. You were stripping. But it wasn't, so for me, I was. So for me, it was my way at the time. Like, as I look back on it, it was my way of taking control mm -hmm. and not feeling like I was being abused, but abusing before anybody could abuse me. Right. That's really what it came down to. Right. I was dancing. I was literally on my way to an audition for soft porn. And... Nobody but God stopped that. I got robbed on my way to that audition, and I never made it. And wow. I look back at, like, that is great. That, that was fantastic. I didn't realize that at the time, mm. but only God knows what path I would have walked down if I, I, if I had made it there and, and right. went through with that. Because mm. it was just a, a spiral of, mm. I've just got to survive. I've just got to survive, and I'm going to, you yeah. know, sex was a weapon for me because it was a weapon against me. Right. 
and you know knew how to do it you knew how to survive abuse after abuse so you know sometimes it's like it's what you know it's what's comfortable even though it's not comfortable exactly not healthy at all Mm. but you just allow yourself to live in it so that's the same with everyday life so that was kind of what pulled you up out of that life, right? When you got robbed on the way to that audition. Absolutely. And it wasn't even a, a pullout like I understand it. It was, oh, I don't have any ID and I don't have any money. And I need to get back to go and get all of that stuff. Yeah. And funny enough, I say funny, but funny enough, what ended up happening was I ended up calling my dad, of all people, calling my dad. And he sent me a ticket, a Greyhound ticket to get back. That was in California. Talk about running. Yes. <laughs> Shoot. You're all over the map, girl. You are all over the map. <laughs> yes. So he got me a bus ticket back to New York. And coincidentally, that summer, um, my girlfriends, when I got back, had invited me out to an event called Youth 2000. And it was a Christian youth camp that was like my first introduction to understanding Christ's love. Like I remember what happened that weekend. I don't think I really took much away from it unless I look back on it. And I remember this, this we were sitting in a, a prayer circle that weekend and it was just this overwhelming feeling of love. And only in my adult life, because I was only about 18 or 19 at the time, if that, because I'm sure I was lying about my age back then. Right. Um, yeah. I couldn't understand why I was, it was it was emotional, but it felt so good, and I couldn't explain. It. I just left that weekend, a weekend of prayer and fellowship with all these amazing people, like literally praying to God, praying to Christ, and mm-hmm. it was unexplainable. But I'm like, that's exactly what I needed because I probably would have been looking at getting more money to get my tail right back to California. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh. Well, it's amazing, you know, how we look at our lives and we have all this damage and all this stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, these scars and these wounds that we don't want to be a part of who we are, but it is a part of our yeah. journey and our path. But thankfully, yeah. because of who God is, that's not what he's looking at. He sees through to our heart and our potential and then yeah. is able to pull us out of that junk that we couldn't get out of on our own. And constantly, oh my goodness, constantly at work doing that for us. I know that now, you know, you're a single mom. How many kids do you have? Three? I have four now. You have four kids. <laughs> woo, woo. Yes. And now you're in Baltimore. So my littlest. Yes, I'm in Baltimore now. <laughs> now you're in my Baltimore. My youngest is six years old, and oh. I love Baltimore. <laughs> Amazing. And, I mean, to think of you, I see you, um, I've seen pictures of your beautiful family, and you're doing life, and you're running with purpose, and you look amazing, your kids are adorable, Um, and I think you, you, at one point in your life, you wanted to give these kids up for adoption, and, like, that's only been in the last decade. It's just amazing to me how God can turn our lives around so quickly, and, and that we, you could give up on some of that and not know your purpose is mm-hmm. lying right in front of you if you would just keep walking. Exactly. Just walk in it. Just <laughs> there. walk in it. I know. It. There was definitely a time where I just thought, I don't deserve these kids. I can't be a good mother to them. Mm-hmm. And was definitely didn't want to be their mom. And not because, just because I didn't think I could do it. I just didn't think I was, I was being fair to them mm-hmm. because I, I didn't have a hold on my life. It was yeah. just painful to just 
not be able to provide for them in just the right way. It was always, it seemed like at the time, it was always this catch-22. I either had a great job, but I didn't have enough to pay for daycare, or mm. I, you know, I could be with them, but then I couldn't go to work. It was just this, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's and it was just balance, again, because I had built a life of not letting anyone in. Oh. So I was doing life by myself. When it comes to the emotional piece of it with, you know, tapping into like your abuse and your wounds and everything from that, how did that play a role in being an obstacle for you being a mom with these kids? Like I get the tangible stuff with paying the bills, you know, figuring out the job schedule, all of that. But what did it look like under the surface? Because for so many survivors, I think as moms, we have that common thread, you know, for a lot of us in many different ways. Overprotecting. So overprotective. Um, Mm-hmm. And that's definitely what I was very, I was very much someone who didn't want anyone to speak into my children's lives. And I didn't mm-hmm. want, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't want them around people for too long. Yeah. It was, they were, they were more, and it sounds so wrong when I say it, but it was more like they were my property that I was protecting mm-hmm. than lives that I was gifted to help raise. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And and it's, 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 and I see that now because it's so different now. Like now I look at my children at the, as these amazing free spirits who mm. I want them to soar. Yeah. And before it was, no, 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 no. They have to stay close, really close to me. No one, they can't go with anyone. They mm. can't do anything. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally get it. It's so hard. I mean, because the person that you should have been able to trust and everyone else trusts, I mean, your dad was mm-hmm. wealthy you know, well known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he should have been somebody to trust, but he was a monster and behind closed yeah. doors. It was, you know, a nightmare. So for you to grow up and have your own kids, it makes total sense that you would be overprotective and, you know, not want them to be with anyone because you don't know. So where was the turning yeah. point for you to be able to sort of let them go a little bit and trust you know, for them to, to be okay without you at times? Honestly, it's only happened in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Like it's always, that's the one thing, like healing doesn't just happen all of a sudden. Poof, you're healed. Right. And right. <laughs> that in itself, it's a healing journey. Mm-hmm. So there's always some part of you that you come to a realization feel like, oh, wait a second, I can shift this and I don't have to do things this way. Right. Um, with my children, again, it had to be within the last, seven years and more so more intentionally within the last three years or so Mm -hmm. because my oldest she'll be 20 now Edina is going to be 20 and I'm probably the most protective and guarded with her Uh um and learning that she's on her own now and I have to trust that this is now her journey yeah you know and even with my younger my younger boys Daniel is 16 Eden is 12 and Eli is 6 Mm. Um, I homeschool them. You do? (laughs) But that comes from realizing, you know, each of them having different personalities and different wants and different desires and different strengths that weren't necessarily being played out, allowed to be played out in school. Mm. And really wanting an opportunity to just be with them. You know, I've always, I've always worked way too much, but you know, my, my job has kept me busy. My, my company kept me busy. And it was like they were in school or they were with someone, you know, it, 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 because I had to 
financially provide. Oh, right. And mm-hmm. over the past few years, I realized, no, I need to be there for them. Mm-hmm. I need to seriously be for the, there for them. I had a mini stroke um, a little over two years ago. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge wake-up call, but I was just doing way too much. Mm. And my biggest question in all of that was, can I now, after divorce, can I now be a full-time mom? You know, we have all these terms for, you know, we want it all. You want to have the career and you want to be a mom. And looking at my children, my realization was, I just want to be a mom. Mm. You know, Mm. everything else can come secondary to that. I just want to be able to raise my children before they exit, you know, and head into their adult life. Mm. Um, Mm. So now it's really just allowing them to learn and discover just very freely, very openly and conversate with it. And I don't always agree and they don't always agree, but... (laughs) It's, sure. it's it's a communication. It's, it's a process. We're learning together. Mm-hmm. So what are your passions now? What are you doing now? I've seen so many amazing projects just in the last few months. Do you want to share a little bit about yes. that? Yeah. So now I run a company called Lemonade or Lemonade to play on the word lemonade. I craft artisanal drink mixers and lemonade blends and wellness blends just all beverage fun stuff. Um, and that came out of a no, <laughs> actually. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It came out of a no. I've been making lemonade for a few years now. I started a catering company a few years back. Mm-hmm. And we got known for our lemonade. Um, just crazy flavors, vanilla, rosemary, and ginger rose, and citrus thyme. Yum. But, um, <laughs> yummy, yummy, right? Yeah. But to get it to our clients, we found a way to make it a concentrate and they can take it home and add water to it. So it's surprising how it's this little thing that I had no intention of necessarily doing. It just kind of found us. Mm-hmm. And um, it's amazing now. So we're in Baltimore. We run, operate that we're based in Baltimore now. We sell mainly at farmer's markets and pop-ups. And um, I had started sharing my story more intentionally a mm-hmm. few years ago through a platform that I called Empowered to Thrive. Well, currently I'm rebranding that platform as When Life Gives, um, taking a huge play for the concept of When Life Gives You Lemons, because Lord knows I've been handed all types of lemons in life. (laughs) And the platform is an opportunity to be very intentional about cultivating community and just taking a look at the lemons that we were handed in life and what steps we can take to create that lemonade for ourselves just be very intentional, you know, actually being intentional about looking at the life that I led as a child and what that meant for me as a human being, as an adult, and how I dealt with or did not deal with things has really helped and allowed me to now live my best life ever. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of merging, you know, yes, I'm making lemonade, but we're really doing so much more than that. So the, the goal is to really inspire lives and inspire community. That's amazing. So you kind of, your healing journey really started when you were in Texas, right? And, you know, finding the Lord, finding community there, really leaning into relationships and friendships that were genuine. Then now you're in a new city. So how have you continued to create that? Did you already have community there when you moved? Or are you in a place where you're having to recreate that for yourself and your own health? 
so yeah, a part of it was realizing what was happening with me also overworking myself in Texas. And a part of it also came to the fact that I was now separated, unmarried, and raising three young men, three, mm. very specifically three men of color. And um, while we love Texas and we love the community there, um, I needed to be closer to my family. Most of my family is here on the East Coast. But I also needed to let my boys have a little bit more diversity community-wise mm. and to see more folks that looked like them mm. doing things that were possible. Right. You know, it wasn't something I necessarily gave much thought to mm -hmm. um, before because I had other things to worry about. <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, it became very evident as I watched my boys and just watched the things that were happening in the world currently. Mm -hmm. um, so we chose, I chose Baltimore mainly because Number one, East Coast. Number two, there's an amazing, amazing um, groups of people who are just very intentional about building community here in Baltimore. Mm. There are a lot of stereotypes about Baltimore, some that are more than stereotypes, but there's also a lot that people don't realize and see that there are people here that are just all about community and raising each other up and starting there. And that speaks so strongly and loudly to me that I just had to begin my next chapter here and plant my roots here. And every part of that has been true and beyond that since we've gotten here. That's awesome. If you don't mind me asking, is your mom in the picture? So my birth mother is in Ghana and we have a Facebook relationship. Okay. Um, so we talk via Facebook um, and not as extensively as I'd like, but what has come from all of this is all of my siblings. And I, we have, we are very intentional with staying in touch with each other. So mm -hmm. while, you know, we attempt it with our mother, I think she has her own healing journey that she's going through. So right now we focus on our next generation, which is all of our children and yeah. nephews and nieces and the siblings. We weren't mm -hmm. raised together and we all have different things that we've had to deal with. So building mm -hmm. community amongst each other has been very intentional lately. And I love it, especially over the past year or so. Wow. Yeah. Because your dad moved you and your little sister here, right? When you mm -hmm. were, yeah. When you were how old? So I was, we were both born here. Our parents are from Liberia, West Africa. Mm -hmm. we were both born in the state. Um, we were raised in Long Island and he actually got custody of us when we were very young. Mm -hmm. From my mother. Mm -hmm. And she stayed over there. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And then, so your sister served five years. And how is she doing now? She is great. Mm. <laughs> She's doing good. She has, um, she is transitioning um, and I think getting her own place really soon. She's gone through some job training. Um, she has amazing goals that she, and things that she's planning for. Um, she's living in New York City and just being amazing. Wow. Just being just being her best self. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you credit for that? Just your involvement in her life or same with her as far as good community or Christ or what? I think it's just us. I think it's really just conversation, just talking. That's something she and I never had. Mm. We didn't do that. We didn't talk. You know, mm -hmm. I was very adamant about not talking <laughs> I see. when we grew up, when yeah. as we were growing up. Uh -huh. And now it's being very open and honest, no matter what that may look like. Mm. You know, I think a lot of us fear 
oh, someone's going to be upset here, or they're going to say no, or they're not going to like it. And I think she and I have learned um, that that's okay. Mm. We're still going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a powerful thing to be able to to do and to be, um, and just to be happy in your own <laughs> dirty skin sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Mm. What would your message be to other survivors of sexual abuse that, you know, are listening to us today who are where you were, you know, let's say seven to 10 years ago, you know, what would you, what would you say to just keep them going and, you know, to have hope for what's ahead? I think it's so easy for us to be stuck in places on our healing journey that feel dark and alone. And we just don't know if it's worth it to keep going. What would you say to them? That it absolutely is worth it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That if we have survived what we survived, the strength is already there to continue on and to prosper from it and to rise up from it. Mm -hmm. And that comes with simply trusting whether you choose to trust in any individual person or not, simply trusting that, trusting yourself, mm-hmm. honestly, trusting yourself and trusting, trusting the fact that God has got you, mm-hmm. that he's got you and mm-hmm. keep talking. <laughs> that's, that's, I think that's it is, is keep talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because eventually the right person or persons or community is going to hear you and be there for you. Not an overnight healing at all it's Mm. not that but it can be absolutely beautiful throughout the whole process Mm. that's right do you feel like because for so many um survivors and i know for me when i finally found my voice and wanted to really start my healing journey um my abuser had already passed away and i'm just thinking of you and your story Mm -hmm. and how things played out do you feel like you were able to find that closure or like where are you with that because obviously you didn't get to have that conversation of, you know, and seeing the justice play out. How does that kind of flush out in your brain? It's played out very strangely over the years. Even that wasn't something that just seems to happen. Um, And oddly enough, just last weekend, um, I had a trigger. And I I didn't think I had triggers anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've gone through, I had a few years back, maybe about six, five or six years ago, I wrote out my life from start to finish. I wrote a letter to my father. Mm. And even up until that point years ago, I would never, although I knew what my father did and I finally was mad about it, Mm. I still only claimed the love part that I had for him. I still would only allow myself to love him. I still would not allow myself to hate him or to be angry with him. Yeah. And five years ago, I, was, I finally allowed myself to do that. Wow. Um, that was healing. Yeah. But I still, even last weekend, I was watching a television show and someone said something in the show. And they said, yes, our dad was really bad to us, but you don't kill your father. And that line threw me into a whirlwind for about a half hour of just bawling out crying because I never spoke to my sister about what I felt about what she did. 
I never, I never cried for my father the way I really wanted to, mm. because he still was my dad. He did wrong. He, his actions were horrible, mm-hmm. absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. Some would even say unforgivable. Mm. But he was still a person. You know what I mean? Mm. And I still, I still wanted to feel for him. And it sounds so strange. I know. Um, Mm. But I allowed myself to do that last weekend, and it was very freeing. Mm. Wow. It was very freeing. It was very freeing to allow myself mm-hmm. to realize I loved him, I hated him, right. and I felt sorry for him. Yeah. And, and we can look at all these okay. feelings that we have, yeah. and, and it can make us feel crazy because they're all over yeah. the place. But that's exactly. what it is. I mean, these abusers are able to do what they do because they're not complete monsters. And there is a good exactly. side to them. I remember struggling with that so much mm-hmm. myself with my stepdad. The, the grieving process, I guess. And when we don't allow yeah. ourselves mm-hmm. to feel every emotion. Every uh, emotion. Exactly. Yeah, we have to feel them all, I think, in order to be our healthiest self. And when we shut certain exactly. ones down, we will inevitably mm-hmm. shut other ones down. So if we don't feel exactly. allow ourselves to feel the anger, how will we experience mm-hmm. the opposite side of complete joy? You know, if we're exactly. always just shutting and stifling. And I think a lot of times there are counselors or pastors or mentors who do a disservice when they're pushing survivors to feel certain things and not feel certain things or tell them to not exactly. feel this. You know, we yeah. need to be angry at certain times and we also need to allow ourselves to grieve the good things of the bad person. So exactly. that's a very exactly. honest admission on your part. I, I really appreciate that. And and, and through that, it, it made you feel more peace, more freedom. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And it doesn't Absolutely. negate the it bad was, he did. It doesn't. It doesn't. And, you know, that's probably a fear that a lot of us go through. I yeah. mean, here I am. 10 more than 10 years later after this and only a week or so ago coming to that realization, <laughs> but that freed up so much. It, it's almost like I allowed more joy into myself because mm-hmm. I just completed a cycle of realness. I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't even really have words for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's so fresh for you, but I think, just being willing to say yes when the healing waters are coming and knowing who your safe people are and going to them. And, you know, for me myself to be at this point in my healing, but to have a bad day or to struggle with a certain emotion or to be triggered, I could shut that down and it would shut down a lot in me. Or I can say, you know, I have all these great people around me, who do I feel safe with to go to with this? You know, like I can text Mary something about how I'm feeling. I can feel so vulnerable and crazy, but I know at the end of the day, she's still there for me and she still sees me as better than I see myself. And we need those people in our lives and we need to be willing to, to feel it all. (laughs) We need to feel and we need to allow yes. the emotions to flow when they're coming. And um, exactly, I think you're right. The other side of that is just a yeah. deeper, a deeper uh, healing experience for us. It is. It really is. I remember a few years back, I had um, I had a speaker sheet, and <laughs> my speaker sheet, I quoted myself on it, and it said, "With healing comes healing." 
Mm-hmm. It's so funny how I had those words, but really weren't, wasn't living them out just yet. And sure. but because of those words, I was reminded instantly. It was like almost like when I started crying, when I started feeling what I was feeling, I wanted to block it, but I was like, nope, just go with it. Mm-hmm. Just go, just dig into it, just feel it. And mm-hmm. it was an ugly cry. It was probably a snot nose falling out. <laughs> and that's okay. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It was amazing. It was because it is like a blockage inside of you. Uh huh. And you're releasing it. Yeah. Yeah. I know, Mary, sometimes you say how you just need to get a cry out. Oh my gosh. It can be 30 seconds, it can be 30 minutes, but it's like when your body needs that, you have to let it happen. Yeah. For so many years, I would not cry in front of anybody. And Mm -hmm. because I thought it meant I was being vulnerable, I was weak. And I was afraid that people could take advantage of me if they saw that weakness in me. So I wouldn't cry for anything. I mean, people would want to watch a sad movie with me. And I was just like, I'm just going to shut down, you know, because I I cannot Uh, let myself feel. And when I finally did, man, I just I understand where you're at with that. It it really... It allowed, I think, the real Nicole to surface. And I saw how much yeah. I was keeping her in chains by not being emotional. And I realized later that that was actually my strength. I could be completely yeah. me. I could completely feel things. And I could be stronger for it. So Exactly. You're much stronger for it. Mm. Is there anything else that we didn't hit on that you feel would be important just live intentionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I hit on it already, but that is definitely where I'm at now. It's just inten- live an intentional joy. And what does that That's look like on a daily for you? On a daily, it's pausing. It's pausing when you feel a disruption, when you feel challenged. Oh. It's, it's pausing and reflecting and okay. looking at what your ultimate goals are. It's pausing for prayer. Okay. It's pausing and looking beyond yourself. Mm. Um, the pause is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's hard to do the when pause. you're on the go, you got all these kids, yeah. you know, you've got businesses. It's hard to, to really yeah, take that time. It is. And that's why I'm so intentional with it because, um, you know, we've created a culture of hustle mm-hmm. and pride in that hustle. As I am intentional with being joyful, I realize that's not what I want. I don't want the hustle. Mm. I want reach my friend I want. Oh, I'm done with the hustle I'm tired I'm old it's like there's yes. oh, just yeah it's not healthy it's, it's not, not healthy, healthy. At all. we we know we kind of take pride in being busy and that's not I don't think that's who we're created to be and um I just I I fight that with every grain but it's not a it's not a fight where it's a physical fight it's just you know okay I see you Mm. And that's not going to be me <laughs> mm-hmm. or I see you and I, I aspire to that mm-hmm. and just, just reflecting a lot of reflecting. And, and like I said, it's just being very intentional with it. You know, we can be intentional about what our goals are and what we aim for. And my goal and my aim is to live a joyful life mm. and to not just always be on the go. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it happens, because it's going to happen every now and then. That's just, the, you know, that, that, that is a possible reality. Right. Um, but to be aware of it and to have a game plan for what it looks like to step back and to step out of it. Those are some good and words. It's just so much better living that way. <laughs> well, yeah. 
I mean, it makes life a little bit more worthwhile because <laughs> you can still have purpose and you can still most- have passion. Yes, absolutely. Yes. But you can make your time count. And I think that's one exactly. thing I've learned lately mm-hmm. is, is just to really make your time count and to not, yeah. you know, Mary and I, our motto used to be, what was it? Work smarter, not harder. Uh huh. Yeah. We have a new motto yeah. every month, I and think, that but that was a good tomorrow. one. <laughs> yeah. The mottos are good. The reminders. Yes, <laughs> yeah, constantly. It leaves room for those communities with, with amazing people. It leaves room for that. That's what it allows for. Right. You and know, it also means paying know. attention to the ones that are draining you and saying, I don't have to waste my time here. <laughs> exactly. I feel like I'm about to go tackle my day in a new way. So <laughs> I like <Yeah>. it. <laughs> well, Carlene, well, I, wow. I appreciate you sharing that. That's really something we can all kind of relate to. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the One Voice podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. And if you can find a minute, please write a review so others looking for encouragement on the topic of sexual abuse can find us and join the movement. To become a part of our online community, visit IamOneVoice.org and follow us on Facebook by searching for One Voice, spelled together as one word. We'll see you here next time on the One Voice podcast.